0: the privilege of this morning introducing a few of our speakers for today. So on Memorial Day weekend every year, uh, we allow for wh- what we call uh, Young Communicators Sunday. So I have a couple of students and I have a couple of student leaders that are going to be bringing the word to you this morning. So excited for that. Um, man, sitting in first service these messages are, are straight from God's Word. They're, 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 you can tell they poured into what His Word says, absorbed it for themselves, and they're just uh, giving you the overflow of what God's been speaking to them through His Word. So it's powerful. And before anything else, I just want to do something different uh, this service. I just want to pray right now. I think that it can be easy when, when it's not Pastor, Pastor Mark preaching or if it's a, a, something special like this. It can be easy to be like, well, let's encourage them alone. But it's like, no, like, let's sit here and receive what God's Word says. Like for for me, for you, let's sit and absorb because they've poured into God's word and his word is full of truth and it'll transform our lives. So I just want to pray, if you guys will join me in praying right now over them and over our hearts to be receptive to what his word says. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We're we're thankful as we've been singing your praises, we realize it's all about you, God. It's all about how good you've been, God, about the cross, the fact that you've purchased us through your blood. We thank you. We love you so much. And, and God, I just pray it over this next portion of our service, God, over these uh, communicators, God, as they preach your word, God, that you'd fill them with your spirit, that you guide their speech, God, that, that as you've been teaching them and pouring into them through your word, God, that they pour it back out to your body, Lord, to edify and to build up your church. God, I pray that our hearts would be receptive and ready to receive your word, God, I pray that every distra- distraction would be removed from the room, and God, that we, with humble hearts, will to internalize what your word has to say to us this morning. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So, with that, I've got four communicators for you this Sunday. Uh, we've got Zach Mitchell, we've got Sam Van Wy, we've got Hallie McCormick, and we've got Derek Rosebrook. As they each come up, I would just ask that you guys would give them a round of applause. So let's start with Zach Mitchell. Would you take the stage?
1: Good morning, Destiny Church. My name is Zach Mitchell, and the verses I'm going to be sharing with you today are found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. First, I'm going to read the, uh, read the passage, then I'll pray before we jump into the message. So it says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all here safely. I pray that you use me in a way that only you can. I pray that you would change any hearts that came in here today, hearts that are heavy and are carrying baggage. I pray that we leave our worries with you and we can focus on what God has to say through these verses. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the key word in this passage is rejoice. We know it's important because Paul repeats it. Rejoice means to feel or show show great joy or delight. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote this passage? He was in a Roman prison. Paul wasn't saying um, he was joyful to be in prison or we should rejoice because of our bad circumstances. He said to rejoice in the Lord. So what are some things that we rejoice in? Maybe you have a favorite football team or you like to cheer for your children as they compete in sports and that brings you joy. Those are good things, however, none of them can compare to rejoicing in the Lord. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, Dr. Tony Evans explains it this way. Worldly happiness is not the same as godly happiness. Godly happiness is called joy. The difference between joy and worldly happiness is that worldly happiness depends on our circumstances. When things are going well, we feel happy. When things are going poorly, we feel sad. That can leave us feeling like we're on an emotional roller coaster. However, biblical joy means we rejoice in who God is. We rejoice that He loves us, that He's kind, that He's compassionate, forgiving, merciful gracious and that he sent his son to die for us in fact um, we can always rejoice in who god is he never leaves us and he is near to us always paul says in verse 5 let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near when circumstances are hard and our hearts are heavy we have worries and we feel overwhelmed it might be easy not to feel very joyful and those feelings can make us feel anxious, angry, sad, frustrated, and to be irritated easily. Paul warns us against those feelings, saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. He is helping us to think about, what, about being kind and gentle with others, no matter what our circumstances, because the Lord is gentle. I don't know what hard things everyone is going through right now or facing in the room right now, Some of you may be struggling with financial issues, some may be um, having a hard time in your marriage, some may be struggling with addictions, others have broken family or friend relationships. Maybe someone is struggling because they had just lost a job. All of us know what it's like to go through a hard and difficult situation. Hard times are going to happen in life and it's not always going to be easy or happy. As we grow in the Lord and practice rejoicing in who he is and loving him for who he is, we will grow in our gentleness. Try not to be discouraged when life is hard and your circumstances are overwhelming, but know that God is with you in every good and every bad situation. And if we can just focus on his goodness, we will be able to rejoice in him even when life is hard. Thank you for your time.
2: Okay, like I said, first service. Um, I'm a woman of many words. So we're gonna hopefully do just as well as I did first service, right, Dirk? Yeah, my husband said I did good, yeah. And by good, I mean didn't speak too long. So here's my, my verses are Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So if you would have asked me to speak about worry, a little over two and a half years ago, before I had my first child, and I have two little baby girls, and I love them. But if you would have asked me to speak about worry, it would have looked a lot different. Um, and those of you who are parents probably understand what I'm saying here, but my version of worry um, was like, is my car gonna work on the way, on the way to school? Um, one time, I didn't say this for service, but one time when I was in high school, I was taking the ACT, right? And uh, this is the second time I was going in, already got accepted into college. I was like, eh, hey, what's it gonna matter? I might get a little bit more money, right? Uh, mind you, I was never a bad student. Um, I always got good grades. I was always, um, that overachiever really annoyingly. And you know what I'm talking about? I heard somebody laugh, like, you know, it's okay to laugh. Um, and (laughs) when I was in, in high school, I decided to go, I got a brand new phone, right? And they tell you to like, turn your phone off, put it under your seat, whatever, keep it out of sight. So I did that. But about an hour into the test, my phone goes off and I'm like looking around saying, okay, whose phone is this? Okay, is it yours? No, it's not yours. Then it hits me. It's my phone and my face goes red and tears start streaming down my eyes because I'm so embarrassed and I leave. But it wasn't the fact that I was kicked out of the ACT that made me sad. Oh yeah, I, it, was, it was a full-on kick out. The teacher comes, gets you, takes you out. of. Okay. Um, it wasn't the embarrassment that kept me crying. It was the worry of what the heck are my parents going to say when I get home? <sighs> okay. Um, and this is coming from a family that wanted to become a doctor. Um, I am clearly not a doctor. So there's a lot of disappointment there, but I was very sad. I'm so sorry, guys. You can laugh, my humor is a little weird. Okay, so, but when I had a kid, when I had my first, the worry just changes. You know what I'm saying? Like, Because before you have a kid, you can sleep through the night and you can sleep heavily. There was times that my husband, before we were married, he would drive from college to my house because I lived off campus, and he would knock on my door to wake me up to code class. That's how bad I would sleep. So he would come and knock on my door. Um, I could travel wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted, with whoever I wanted at whatever time of night. Um, I could fall asleep in the passenger seat with ease of mind. Like I could just sleep there. Um, and that was a good life. That was a great life. That was an easy life. And then having a baby, you turn into this little creep who sits there and stares over the crib to see if they're breathing. You're like watching if their chest goes up and down. Sometimes you stick their finger, your finger, like under their nose to make sure they're breathing. Um, sometimes you jiggle them a little bit cause you, you're really concerned. And if they start crying, it's a good thing. Like they're still alive. Right? So Parents, do you understand me, right? I'm not speaking to just like an empty crowd. Okay, great, okay. So that's that's, that's the worry that I'm now able to come to and say, okay, this is the worry that keeps me up at night. This is the worry that keeps my head spinning. Um, Oh, and whenever they put everything in their mouth, you know, like they think they have some kind of authority to do so. That's, that's the worry, um, and it's much more than a concern. So when Paul is writing here, he's not just talking about like, oh, don't be concerned about things going on. Don't be concerned about the future. He's really, and, and in some translations, it says, don't be anxious. And anxiety or that worry can take our thoughts captive. Uh, we can go into fight, flight, or freeze mode when we get into that mindset. Um, ultimately, it becomes a wall between you and God, and it kind of just stands there. And the more that we feed our anxious thoughts, the more that wall can grow. Um, in verse six, let's go back to that. Paul again, he says, Don't worry. And I want to cross reference here a little bit in Matthew six. Because in his sermon, he tells us not to worry. He talks about the birds of the air and how God takes care of the birds of the air. He feeds them and the lilies, he clothes them. And how much more can your God do for you, right? He states that, but just a little bit before he talks about the birds and the flowers, he goes, um, in verse 24, he talks about the fact that we cannot serve two masters. That is right before he comes and tells us not to worry. And so looking at it, it seems to me as God is saying, you cannot worry and you cannot serve God. You cannot have anxiety and serve God at the same time. Worry and faith cannot exist in the same place. But Paul goes ahead and he gives us the tools to overcome. And he says, pray about everything and give thanks to him for what he has done. God does not want us to hold our worry. He does not want us to hold on to the burden, he wants us to let it go and give it to him. So if you're, if you're worried about finances, pray, right? If you're worried about relationships, pray. If you're worried about your children, pray. If you're worried about walking into Walmart, sitting in your car for 45, 50 hour minutes, pray, okay? Pass your burden on to the father who can carry the weight. Um, thank him for all he has done. And I, I always say this, do you guys know the acronym kiss KISS? keep it simple, stupid. Right. Yeah. So I think Paul was really good about that because when I read this and when you guys read it, you're probably like, yes, okay, I get it. Don't worry, pray, tell him, thank him. Keep it simple, stupid. Right. It's good for us too, but it's a lot harder than it thinks. did you think? Right. It's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Sometimes the simplest things are the hardest, but let's talk about the thanking part because many of us are really good at coming to God and saying, God, here are my issues. Here are my concerns. Here's what's keeping me up at night. And we leave it there. But the next step that, God's, or that Paul's writing is saying, you gotta thank God. You gotta praise him. He is worthy of thanks. He's done so many good things. He is a good God. And I was, when I was doing this, and I was going through the passage, I was reminded of Psalm 104. Well, it says, enter his, great, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart and give him praise. And I was like, God, why would you lay that, that verse on my heart? Like, what does that mean? Because you also know that old hymn that says the same thing. When we meet with God and we praise him, we get to worship him through that praise. In this same verse, he's saying, okay, don't worry. Tell God about it. Thank him. And that's an act of worship just in that part. God does not want you to carry your burdens. Worship isn't just through the music. It's through through the acts that he commands you to do. So let's go to verse seven. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The beautiful hope that we have after we release Our burden to him is that he'll give us a peace that surpasses any human understanding. And if we talk about peace in today's world and the peace that we think about, it's a peace that usually involves lack of conflict. So you think about Thanksgiving, anybody have those families, you go to Thanksgiving, they're always bickering, fighting, same. Okay, so you're like, I would just have peace if my family could just get along for 20 minutes you know, without without the conflict. I would have peace if my boss would just chill out, okay? The world always looks at it. You can have peace without conflict. You can have peace when your condition changes. You can have peace when circumstances are different. But the peace of God is different. And peace in Greek, which I will not say out loud, because um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the peace that is written here in verse seven, does not have to do anything with conflict. It's about quietness and it's about rest. The peace of God is different. It's a peace that lasts through the circumstances. It's a peace that lasts through the conflict. It has nothing to do with the absence of conflict, but everything to do with the goodness of God. A better way to explain it, in John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, I am leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart. And the peace is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So it's a gift. You come to him, you say, hey, these are my worries. This is what's keeping me up at night. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. And God's going to give you a gift. He honors your steps so much that he gives you that peace. And that peace will guard your hearts. So your heart is it's, it's so much more than just this anatomical part of your body. Your heart, it's mentioned 800 times in the Bible, which means it's like a big deal, okay? Um, your heart is your spiritual processor. And what, what does that mean? Um, your heart guides you, okay? Have you ever been so heartbroken, your heart lit, like physically hurts? Because I sure have, Okay. But have you also been so overjoyed that you're, you feel so light? I, I believe there is weight there. And in Proverbs four twenty three it says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. What's poured into your heart, what's poured into your thoughts will determine where your life goes. But worry is a simple tactic that the devil will use to take your life captive. And a lot of times it's so innocent. My baby, so innocent. But worry so small can turn into a huge thing. And here's the thing, the world can make anxiety seem so common practice. Everybody is anxious. Everybody has anxieties. And I'm not saying that if you're anxious, it's not, it's not real. It absolutely is. But the world tries to make it common practice and tries to make it sound like, you know, it's a good thing to have anxiety in some ways. But our father has greater plans for us. Um, He doesn't want us to stay in a state of worry. That was never a call in our lives. That was never something he placed in your path. He never made it out to be a part of who you are. He doesn't want you to feel worried. He doesn't want you to be consumed by your thoughts. He wants to remove that wall and protect your heart so you can walk in righteousness without fear of the future. Anxiety is a fear of the future. You cannot have anxiety and you cannot have faith in God take place at the same time. It's a gift that guides our life. He wants you to give it up to him and he wants to give you peace. Now we're gonna move on to Halle with the good news. Thank you,
3: Sam, that was so good. Okay, um, sorry, my voice is a little bit raspy. Hello, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Hallie McCormick. and I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Um, The scripture I'm speaking on today will be Philippians 4, 8 through 9, which reads, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Before we go any farther, I'm going to pray and we'll break these verses down. Dear Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather today to learn more about you and how to follow you better. Thank you for each and every one of the beautiful people here who decided to spend their Sunday morning with us. I ask that you'll come and fill this room, that you'll send your spirit to make our hearts sensitive to his leading, and allow the words I speak to come only from you. Prepare our hearts so that the words spoken over us today fall on tilled, fertile soil. We love you, and it's in your most holy and awesome and beautiful name we pray. Amen. So, in Philippians, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. And this portion of the letter is an exhortation concerning the various aspects of human life, Christian life. (laughs) Here, Paul is encouraging the Church of Philippi to intentionally monitor their thoughts and instructing them on what will happen if they do so. He's telling us to think of undeniably good things, things that are true and honorable, right and pure, lovely and admirable, things that are good. Um, I especially like the way the ESV says it. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul is telling us to think about true things, not lies. Ponder and reflect on what is noble and dignified, not what is base and vulgar meditate on what is just and righteous, not what is wrong and distorted, focus on what is pure, not sleazy, F- to fix our thoughts on what is admirable and praiseworthy, not offensive and ugly. I'm sure we can all recall a time in our lives where our thoughts didn't exactly mirror the scripture very well. And to be honest, I was heavily convicted as I was writing the sermon Um, on how I allow my mind to just race around without even attempting to assert any form of control. Oh well, as long as I don't say it out loud, you know. And let's face it, taking our thoughts captive is no easy task, but our intimacy, our closeness with Jesus suffers for it if we don't. Furthermore, to grow spiritually, we must pay greater attention to our thought life. To do that though, we're gonna need to backtrack. Where did that thought come from? Are the things you're watching, reading, and listening to encouraging you to jog closer to God or encouraging your obedience to him? This doesn't mean that every, everything we consume has to be overtly Christian, but what is it doing for your relationship with our creator and for your mental and emotional peace? As I was reading in my study Bible, there was a note on verse eight. It said, what we allow to occupy our mind will sooner or later determine our speech and our actions. So, rather, it's Jesus or junk that we're thinking about. It will eventually seep into the rest of our lives. And while we're on the topic of our thoughts, have you ever noticed the difference in how your mind feels when you're focusing more on Jesus than the world, and vice versa? I don't know about you, but for me, personally, when I'm focused on the world, mentally, I suffer for it. My anxiety gets worse, I'm more irritable, and I just feel empty But when I'm thinking about Jesus and intentionally imitating him, my anxiety turns into peace, I'm not as short with my family, and he fills me to overflowing with his spirit. Like it says in Romans 8:6. so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Paul says in verse 9 that when the church of Philippi puts into practice what they've seen and heard, then the God of peace will be with them. And it's not that God isn't always with us. As believers, of course he is. But when we are imitating Paul and thus Christ, we will experience God and his peace more in our lives. We will be more sensitive to God's presence when we are intentionally behaving and thinking in a manner worthy of praise. I'll say it again. We will be more sensitive to God's presence when we are intentionally behaving and thinking in a manner worthy of praise. So... What are you thinking about? And if it doesn't line up with the scripture, what can we do about it? I have three simple ways we can apply what we've learned today. And if you're taking notes, feel free to write them down. One, be deliberate with our thoughts. This requires us to be cognizant of what's going through our mind. When something just pops into our head that doesn't sound very lovely or admirable, like something Jesus probably wouldn't be thinking, we rebuke it. And we do what Second Corinthians it tells us. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So like I said, we rebuke it, and we move on to something else. This may look like shutting down the thought that popped into your head when someone cuts you off in tra- traffic, and choosing to smile, give grace, and move on. Or maybe it looks like going, uh-uh, I don't think so, when that song with the not-so-godly lyric pops into your head. and turning on some worship music to silence it. Three, um, two, (laughs) my bad. Be cautious of what we allow in. It's important that we are careful about what we watch, read, and listen to. This may look like going home and reevaluating some things. Maybe it's time we stop watching that TV show, or maybe we ought to not listen to that kind of music anymore. It is, if it's causing the ill thoughts that pop into your head, it is time to cut it out, remember. Does this encourage me to obey God or draw closer to Him? A simple Lord, I don't want anything that's not from You. Reveal what's holding me back so I can get rid of it. We'll do just fine. And three, being mindful of how we walk. What do you mean how we walk? It sounds goofy, I know, but Paul is clear when he instructs the believers in Philippi to put into practice all they have learned. All they have (laughs) learned. Walk like Jesus. Imitate Paul who was imitating Christ. Dig into the scripture so you can analyze how Jesus behaved. And this may take waking up earlier in the morning to read your Bible or deleting social media so you can intentionally spend more time with the Father. And honestly, that's what I'm doing. So we be, be atten- intentional with our thoughts. We're careful with what we allow in. And we're mindful of how we walk. To conclude, what are you thinking about and do you think it makes Jesus smile? Jesus truly cares about what's going on in your head. He wants it to be good things, not garbage. He wants to be Lord of your whole life, not just the stuff everyone can see, but the things you've hidden in secret and stored away in your head. So, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable. Right and pure, lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Thank you for listening to what the Spirit led me to say, and with blessings beyond measure, I'll leave you.
4: Good morning, Destiny Church. How are we today? It's about the same response that I get on Wednesday nights as well. I didn't say this first service, but as Hallie was talking over her first point again, it kind of thought, made me think about something that as we were getting ready for this week, I think Zach, or not Zach, I think Jesse talked to us about this like maybe what, three weeks ago? Hey, I want you guys to talk about this. And... uh as I'm driving to work, I'm listening to music, and I have this great thought of what you know I'm gonna talk about. And then all of a sudden, like this MC Hammer song sticks in my head, and I'm like, "Where did this come from?" And then all of a sudden, that thought that I was gonna talk about is like gone. Don't know where it went. Didn't know anything about it. I just thought it was funny that you start talking about where and what we think about is what is gonna happen. Um, so I've got Philippians. Uh 4, 10 through 14. But I want to give you a question before I start reading these, and then I'm going to talk about that and explain it in here in a minute. What gives you strength? Yes, going to the gym gives you strength. Yes, working out gives you strength. But what else gives you strength? So let's read these verses real quick, and then we'll dive in. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live with almost nothing or with everything. I have learned to the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Even so, you have done well to share with me in your present difficulty. So again, I ask, what gives you strength? Here in verse 11 and 12, it talks about living with much and living with little. Um, last, this, two weeks ago, this past Friday, I got a, a phone call from a very good friend of mine. And uh, he got called into the office at 9 o'clock in the morning, which is not untypical for him. But uh, in the position that he's in is a very high up position in the, in the job he's got, uh, gets paid very well, which that doesn't make too much deal. He, uh, has a a work vehicle. He has many people that are underneath of him, but on this Friday morning, he gets told his services are no longer required. All of a sudden I have, he has everything that he has ever wanted in this position. He has plenty. Now, all of a sudden he has nothing. That Friday, he calls his wife because he drove the, the company vehicle into work and all of a sudden he has to call his wife and say, hey, you need to come get me because I don't have a job anymore. He gets home, shell shock goes away. Kids get home from school. They kind of say, hey, I'm gonna be around a little bit more. Uh, this is what's going on. And he has this peace about him. And his daughter looks at him and square in the eye and says, how do you have peace about this? He goes, because I know that my God already has a better plan for what our family needs. He has that peace in him because he knows that the God of plenty is the God of little, which is also the God of blessing as well. That next Monday morning, he made two phone calls. He had 12 in return. He has, that next Monday morning, four days later, he had seven job interviews that he had to go to the next two days. The God of plenty, the God of little, blessing him with plenty more. So then we go on to verses 13 and 14, which I looked up, according to Google, verse 13 is the second most Google-searched verse, which I don't know why, because it's so easy to remember. Um. And it says, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it reminds me of a different story that Paul actually writes a few books prior to this in Acts chapter 16. We all know this this story. I know, but I'm still going to talk about it again because I think there's a, a little piece in here that I think we all need to kind of comprehend a little bit more. And it's talking about Paul and Silas who are locked in a, yet another prison cell after they have already done something that God has commanded them to do. They go, and they cast out this demon in this little girl, in the streets, and what happens next? The same streets, the same mob that just cheered for them for casting the demon out, all of a sudden flips, and they start attacking them. They strip them almost naked, they beat them with rods, and they arrest them, and then they go throw them in prison. They take them to the lowest section of the dungeon, they lock them in shackles, and they leave them there, and then what happens next? I think, here's the way that I kinda see this in my head, as they sit there in the filth and in the muck, beaten, bruised, stripped naked, that Paul looks at Silas and he says, hey, you wanna sing? No Why Why would I want to sing right now Whenever we just did something that God just told us to do And yet here we are Down here In the filth and in the muck Paul looks back and says Come on just just one song No Just one song Fine just one song I'm not singing anymore One song Okay fine we'll just sing one song So he starts singing one song One song turns into two, two songs turn into three, three songs turn into praying, and praising and worshiping, and then what happens next? All of a sudden there's an earthquake, and not only theirs, not only the cell next to them, but the entire prison's chains fall off and the doors fling wide open. Because they're praising in their situation and their praying in their situation showed the strength that only God can provide. That only God can give in their worst situation, in the filth and in the muck of their life that they're sitting in right now. Paul's response isn't like mine, because I would have been like, nope, I'm done, I'm not worshiping either. I'm just, I'd probably be sitting there just like Silas. One song turns into two Two songs turned into three, three into praying, and then praying into the blessing of broken chains, worshiping in their lowest moment. That's what strength looks like sometimes. That's the strength that only God can give us. And I like how Mark's favorite verse, he always talks about it, 1 Timothy 4, 8. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promises in this life and in the next. Yes, physical training is good, but training for godliness is even better. Sometimes I think, me personally, it's it's easier to train physically because I can see those results. I can see the things that I'm trying to work for, but then if I if I just try to train for godliness, I, I don't exactly know always where it's going. Because I don't always I can't see those benchmark things that I can do. That's just me personally. I'm only supposed to have a certain amount of time, but I'm going to go over it anyways. I'm going to ask you another question. Do you think that God will give you more than you can handle? Do you think God will give you or can give you more than you can handle? Jesse and I kind of talked about this before. Me personally, I think he will for a specific reason. I'll get to that in a second. Because yes, I know that in Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you except such as a common man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation, he will also give you an escape that you may be able to bear it. And guess what? This is another letter from Paul to the to the church of Corinth. Yes, sometimes I think God will give us more than we can handle because without him, we are nothing. Without him, um, we wouldn't be able to do anything. The struggle you're walking through right now, the depression, the loneliness, the loss of a job, the addiction, the jealousy, the hatred, what's the struggle you're dealing with right now? Whatever that is, God sees you right where you're at. And God is also there for you to take that burden, take that load off of you and put it onto Him because that's already what He's done for us, right? Sometimes I, uh, that means handing over something that we've been holding on to so long and for so tightly to be able to hold on to that if we let go of that, we don't know what we're going to be able to do after that. But also, that's exactly where God wants us to be is relying on him because it doesn't say I, for I can do everything that I want to do for my strength is able no it's, he says um, I can do all things through who? through Christ who strengthens me that's what he wants he wants us to rely on him on the strength that only he can give to us I have lived with much and I have lived with little I have been full and I have been hungry For I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me.